0: Hi, I'm Chris Waddell. Every week, we do a QA and a with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. All right, welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Today, we are with Mike Schultz. We're actually here on Veterans Day. Mike is a snowboarder, amputee above the knee amputee, snowboarder. Won gold and silver in Pyeongchang. He is not just a snowboarder, though. He has won 10, uh, 10 X Games medals in a variety of sports. Actually, was lost his leg in a in a snowmobile in a snowmobile cross. A snow cross is that what they call it? Mike yeah, snow, snow cross. He's uh, Has won an ESPY. Was a flag bearer in two thousand eighteen uh voted 10 outstanding americans in 2014 popular science back in 2013 because we're going to talk about this he created a company called BioDapt, which creates the the prosthetic that he uses that he uses to allow him to do what he wants to do on the hill on the motorcycle on the snowmobile but he also outfits a lot of his competitors which sounds like a bit of a sketchy way to go but he outfits a bunch of his competitors as well i don't know if he gives them all the good stuff we'll hear about that but the other one that i thought was so great was the was popular science back in 2013 had him as one of the had his invention of his leg i assume it was your leg it was your leg your knee your foot one we'll find out what it was was one of the top 10 inventions of 2013 so mike you're you're known to me as a snowboarder but snowboarding, in a lot of ways, was almost the test thing that you did, isn't it? Didn't you just go out and start testing your legs so that you could do something else, and it became a sport? How did that happen?
1: Yeah, honestly. Well, hey, hey first off, thanks a lot, Chris, for having me part of the show. Um, looking forward to, to this chat. Lots of lots of stuff to go over. Yeah, snowboarding is the newest sport in my repertoire. Um, I, I come from. Uh, motorsports background with motocross and snowmobile racing and snowboarding actually came about after I became an amputee in 2008 and uh, yeah it was purely to test the new prosthetic devices that I was creating with my new company BioDapt. Um Yeah I was injured in 2008. I didn't want to slow down so I, I uh, hit the drawing board, developed the equipment to get myself back into the action and then realized that a lot of others could could uh, benefit from it. So I wanted versatility with the equipment I was building. So I learned how to do a bunch of other sports as an amputee and snowboarding was one of them. And then uh, turns out is a heck of a lot of fun and uh, got talked into competing. And here we are, you know, a bunch of years later uh, as part of the Team USA snowboard team and outfitting a whole lot of other athletes with the equipment I developed in our BioDAP shop.
0: How did you make the step to start uh, to start creating your your legs? Because it sounds like for the layperson, creating a prosthetic sounds like something that is super super specific. And I read that you said that you had been tuning your suspension. And what was the step that went from tuning your suspension to creating a leg?
1: Because that seems like a big step to me. There's I, well I've. Since the beginning, as far back as I can remember, I've had two passions in my life. One is being the competitor, and the other is I absolutely love designing and fabricating things in my shop. And I think real mechanically. So, you know, honestly, I was kind of the perfect guy for this, uh, this problem to solve. Um, yeah, because, like, your legs are like suspension components to absorb impacts while you're doing all these crazy uh, jumps and bumps and everything on the dirt bike and snowmobile. And so, you know, I looked at it like that. And, you know, I knew suspension components, I knew how to build stuff in the shop. So, you know, I I had three different things I was looking at. I had, you know, the space available between my knee or my, my lower lip or my, uh, the end of my limb and where my foot is. I had like, you know, 12 inches to work with. I needed my knee to flex 130 degrees range of motion, which is what our normal knees do. And then I knew I wanted to use this uh, small compact Fox mountain bike shock to absorb those impacts and it uses air spring as like your quadricep muscles. So I took all those pieces of information and uh, you know, figured out how to make it all work geometrically with, with uh, you know, different pivot points and space available and angular motion and all that jibber-jabber jabber stuff. Are you doing the socket as well? So fitting on the stump? No, I do everything below that. So okay. the top of my knee or the top of the foot um, uses common adapters to connect. And yeah, you know, our, our equipment can be used both for above knee amputees and below knee amputees.
0: Wow. Okay. And so it sounds like the suspension is the biggest the biggest part the most important part of what you're doing is that is that right to the suspension and, and can you talk us through what the suspension means what it does because you have both a knee and an
1: ankle joint right yeah so like the fundamental the fundamental difference between my everyday walking leg and my high activity sport leg is so when i'm walking with my everyday system the knee has to swing back and forth when i'm moving Uh, there's no spring tension uh, that that uh, will extend it or try and extend it like your quadriceps do so it's all about timing when you're walking and for sport you need those quadricep muscles engaged to hold your your leg up or you know so it doesn't flex so it resists to flexing and so that's where this mountain bike shock comes into play so it's sitting right in there and so it it, um, as As the socket attaches up here and this is the axis point so this is where it flexes and as that rotates it compresses the shock down this track roller and so that's really tunable with uh, air pressure and hydraulic dampening so depending on the sport we can fine-tune it uh, to be stiffer or softer to move quicker or slower and then the foot has another smaller version of those shocks in there Uh, basically it controls the ankle as you put weight into it.
0: So what do you, how do you balance this? Are you taking your shock? Because the idea of being an athlete is that you wanna be as symmetrical as possible, right? Yeah, absolutely. One leg, and then does that mean that in the leg, in, in the prosthetic leg that you're trying to match in some ways like the strength, like the strength of your quadriceps so that you're getting the same kind of push? From that leg that you are
1: from your regular leg or how does how does that work well it ends up being about 40 percent less um, because you always want to lead your movements with with your good side because that's how you decide if if you want to be stiff-legged or if you want to absorb something like in border cross we like a big part of trying to go fast is absorbing the rollers with your legs so your body moves straight but your legs are just you know kind of absorbing as you go down the course and you keep your forward momentum so that's kind of tricky because i don't yet have electronics into this system to help it decide how quickly to move so i have to have it stiff enough to help carry my weight and absorb those impacts but soft enough so i can still flex it when i shift weight into it when i have a big roller coming up or the face of a jump or a landing so it, it's uh, definitely, it takes a while to get used to, but um, yeah, I mean, y- y- people, people can adapt pretty quick when, uh, when they really want to, and they're motivated to. So you kind of create
0: that happy medium, and then through your training, you know how your equipment is going to respond. And as a result of knowing how your equipment resp- is going to respond, you can anticipate and, and adapt to the equipment. Is that, is that basically how, am I understanding it correctly?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yep, absolutely. There's no uh, fine print that says exactly how you're supposed to do it. It's uh, you bolt it on and you go out for a ride and, and you kind of figure it out. Uh, so we, as a company, we, we have these baseline settings, you know, for different activities for example, like for 180 pound person, we want for snowboarding, we want to run like 165 PSI. In the knee shock, we want to run 160 psi in the ankle shock, and uh, you know that'll fluctuate depending on people's uh, skill level and how aggressive they want to ride and that kind of thing.
0: How are you compiling your data? So, so are, is there a computer? Is there some sort of a sensor? Are you doing it through trial and error? How does how does that data work? That then you say, okay, for a 180 pound guy, we want 160 psi
1: that it's uh you know we keep data a couple different ways um we have done some really high-tech testing with sensors um uh uh, potentiometers and i can't think of the name of it right now but it's really (laughs) high tech there's lots of graphs and and it's a lot of jargon that i don't understand but uh basically it translates into shaft speed and that kind of thing and um depending on the tuning that we do. It affects how quick it moves under certain loads, but you know, that's really complicated. So basically it all comes down to, you know, just in-person trials. Um, when, it feels so like. when we began, you know, it was just me putting it on, doing all these different activities. That's where the snowboarding came in. Um, you know, so I could have that baseline setting and, um, so I've got files after files of of uh, data that we've accrued over the years with different athletes, and you know, the thing is with snowboarding is it all there's so many variables. Like it's the terrain you're riding, it's the um, how aggressive you want to ride, it's what stance you are. You have your prosthetic in the front or in the back, which are very very different. Uh, Baseline settings, uh, depending on if you have your prosthesis in the front or back, because you got to match the slope of the mountain. And um, so, for example, the, the prosthesis, when it's in the front, you want it more extended. And if it's in the back, you want it more uh, flexed to match the, the slope of the terrain.
0: Which goes back and forth too, right? It, as a snowboarder, it depends on whether you're riding, you're riding
1: uh, standard or goofy, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Once you got it, once you got that all figured out, then you thought, Oh, well, are you goofy or regular? Oh, well then, then you're the other way. So yeah, lots of variables. Does this all translate back to
0: what you're doing in motocross and what you were doing riding snowmobiles?
1: Um, Yeah. It's like a lot of the knowledge with tuning equipment and suspension components all started from motorsports, which is translating into how I understand different movements needed in order to, to ride my snowboard. Um, and bottom line is, like, the more time that you spend trying to figure out how your legs are going to work in different activities, it's all going to cross over and help each other out, and you know, ultimately make you more prepared to react to a certain physical situation.
0: Now, when you're, so you ended up here as a result of a snowmobile accident, right? You went over and got your left leg caught underneath the snowmobile and and lost your leg. What did you, what did you come back to? What was the first sport that you came back to? Or what did you, what did you think at that point?
1: Did you think you were going to get back into sports or how did that work? (laughs) That was, it was honestly, it was, it was really nuts. So the, what happened what caused me to become an amputee was I didn't get tangled up with my sled at all. I, got, I was going down this rough downhill section. My sled started swapping side to side. I got pitched off to the left side and landed feet first, and uh, I hyperextended my left knee to the point to where it just crumbled apart, um, caused a, a compound fracture, severed the, the popliteal artery, and uh, very, very uh, complicated situation with, uh, you know, loss of blood and tissue dying and all that. And, um, yeah, I almost didn't make it through it, um, over the, the following couple of days, but, uh, you know, honestly, what, what kept me driving forward was, I guess first is, you know, obviously in motocross and snowmobile racing, I've had a handful of injuries. So I was kind of prepared mentally how to recover from an injury. And, you know, it's a step-by-step process. And, uh, you know, first is to physically recover from your injuries. And then the next point is to do your, all your physical therapy. And, you know, that can be kind of hard if you don't have the right motivation for it. And for me, the motivation was to get back on uh, my dirt bike the following spring or back on my snowmobile and then on my dirt bike. And so I use that as the motivation to keep driving me forward to, you know, ultimately develop the tools to get me back on track. and the biggest motivator for me was when, so my injury was in December 08. And then in March, 2009, you know, just a few months later, I found out about the summer X games adaptive Supercross, And like, are you kidding me? A motocross race at the summer X games for amputees and paraplegics. Like the timing was unbelievable. That was the second year that they had that part of their program. I had been an X games athlete for a handful of years on the snowmobile side, on the professional side. And so, I mean, the timing was just perfect. And that was my motivation to create the tools to get me back into the, you know, the highest performance level I could. And um, yeah, so I, I hit the drawing board and started developing my knee. It took about uh, six, seven weeks from the time I made the decision to create it to the time I had my first prototype. And were you able to
0: to sort of leap over the the mental, emotional part of it that, yeah, you had a lot of injuries before, but when you had injuries before, it was, you could heal and you could come back and you'd be effectively the same as you were before. This was one that you were going to be different than you'd been before, it was uncharted waters. Was the
1: emotional part difficult for you? Absolutely. like. Honestly, for the several weeks following the amputation, like I wanted nothing to do with competition anymore. I knew I would probably continue riding my snowmobile or ATV uh, recreationally, you know, just trail riding. Obviously, I knew I could figure that out. But the competition side, I had my mind made that I knew I wasn't going to be nearly as fast as I ever was. So what's the point? And so I fought with that for a while, honestly. But, you know, once I started getting better, I learned how to walk on my first prosthesis, got on my snowmobile a little bit, and I I had that that feeling of challenge in front of me. I'm like, well, shit, I'm not near as fast as I used to be, but this is still a challenge. And that's really what what it's all about, is like an athlete thrives on the challenge ahead of them. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you're going 100 miles an hour, if you're going five miles an hour, if you're working your tail off to try and get there. Well, that's pretty satisfying.
0: Did it feel like you were starting over? Did it feel like you were starting over in some ways with a bit of an advantage? Like you knew all this stuff before and then you're starting
1: (laughs) over? Yeah, it it was starting from square one. Well, probably square five out of a hundred, you know, I wasn't totally at the bottom. No, you know, I was probably, I was probably like 25 square, 25 out of a hundred. Cause I knew how to look at a, at a challenge in front of me and try to put the pieces together to achieve that goal. Um, but yeah, it, it, there was so many times over the first year and a half of learning how to ride a motocross bike. You know, initially I thought I'd have to get rid of it completely. I was like, I only got one leg. I'm not going to be able to balance on two wheels. Well, I, figured that out pretty quick that yeah I can figure it
0: out what happened that first that first supercross so so you got on you got going with the idea that you were going to do this summer Supercross, and you'd not competed in the summer x games right prior to no never winter and so so what was this like what was it showing up and what was the
1: competition like what was it like getting to the starting line how did this all work oh man so it was uh that summer was incredible so we had a a qualifying race at Extremity Games, which was an amazing adaptive sports uh, program. And they had multiple sports, motocross was one of them. And that was a qualifier uh, to get into the adaptive Supercross at X Games. And so the qualifier was five months after my injury happened. And I didn't know what, you know, I honestly, I had no idea what to expect. And so I went there five months after my injury happened on the leg that I built in the garage. It was the very first prototype. It was pretty rough looking. And I was able to get around the track pretty good. I qualified, uh, you know, I, I earned a spot to X Games, which was seven months after my injury. And it was a fast track learning curve, let me tell you. Like, I put myself in situations that I was like, am I really doing this? You know, my wife, Sarah and I, we, constantly went back and forth like you almost died a few months ago from this from an injury like and we're seriously jumping back into this right away um so we we definitely fought with that a little bit but man it was so exciting to be part of that and i was so nervous uh riding the course at x games i mean it's not just a standard supercross course that you see all the pros ripping around on i it's x games they always do it like 20% 20% bigger and better and gnarlier than regular supercross racing. And so like I went in there, I wanted to conquer the race course. I wanted to be able to do these big jumps and, you know, conquer the course. And wherever I landed, you know, within the, the, the finishes, you know, I was, I was going to be happy about it. Uh, so yeah, I ended up silver. I, I took a silver medal. It was, it was pretty incredible.
0: So look, so was it the fear? that made you, you know, that, that was the fear, right? The fear that I'm going to get hurt again, that I could be, you know, that I could actually die this time. Is that what the, what the worry, what the nervousness was all about or, or what was the, or was it just that it was such a new world? Is it going to work? Am I going to embarrass myself? What were the, what, why why the nervous?
1: Yeah. Well, so, so Chris, you, You, I'm sure you got nervous on the start line. You did. Did you do downhill when you were raised? No? I did. I did. And downhill scared me to death. I I know. You know exactly what it's feeling like. You know, here I am at X Games. You're, you know, during practice, you're looking at these big features. Like, for example, uh, the finish line jump was 80 foot long. It had a 12 foot tall face on it. So you're just coming out of this right hand corner and it's a wall of dirt. And it's, you know, it's 80 feet to the landing and uh so that's why i was scared out of my mind <laughs> you come up short it's gonna hurt like hell it's it's uh, it's not gonna feel good so i ended up uh so there was there's two features that really scared me it was a finish line 80 footer and then there was a, a triple jump um on the you know halfway through the course which was 90 foot and in the last practice session i went for it finally and I came up about six feet short and I cased it and I slammed my head off the handlebars and I got a black eye, but I I did it. <laughs> I did it. And so I was ready for the race, sort of. <laughs> for the
0: race. And did you do it in the race? Did you go for the triple in the race?
1: I did. Yeah, I did. It was uh, not every lap, but, uh, you know, most of the race I was doing it. And, you know, to me, that's, that's what I was out there to try and accomplish. I wanted to be that one-legged guy that was going to, Go hit all these big features. What were the crowds like? Um, the first year, so we didn't have a, a huge crowd the first year. Um, at X Games, um, X Games was uh, the best year for Summer X was in 2013. And uh, it was at the Staples Center, right downtown LA. And we were lined up right ahead of the pro race. And so the stands were packed and that crowd there was just, uh, man, there was so much energy in there. It was unbelievable. Wow. Now, so that was your start.
0: That was your start in X games. So you're in the X games, you did the motocross. How did you, so where did it go from there? Did it go back to snowmobiles?
1: Yeah, I went uh, right from the dirt bikes into snowmobiles. And, you know, about that time going into 2010, I realized that, you know what, I wanna create a business around this equipment that I'm developing. Um, I went to the Snowcross, Winter X Snowcross and got a gold there, which, uh, you know, with my background in professional Snowcross, I kinda of had a head start on everybody. But uh, yeah, that was, that was like the comeback. That was, uh, you know, I looked there, You know, I was with all my old teammates and my old competitors and being able to be there racing, you know, the season after I almost, you know, didn't make it through a knee injury to be there on track with the rest of them. Um, That was, that was a really special moment.
0: When did you think that the company was going to be, that this is what you wanted to do, that you wanted to develop? Because it's happening parallel, right? You have the, you have what you're doing as a competitor and what you're creating as a leg and it's happening in parallel when did you when did you decide that the company was going to be a viable thing that you went from the prototype to to hey i'm going to start producing this i'm going to start selling it to other people that would have
1: been um spring 2011 when um i met up with a snowboarder adaptive snowboarder keith deutsch and uh, he was like the second person who who bought a Motoni from me eventually. But he he reached out to me. He's a veteran, and um, so he had been snowboarding for a few years on other equipment, and he was looking for something better. So he got in touch with me at X Games in 2010, I think it was. Um, and he's like, "Will this work for snowboarding?" And I'm like, "I don't know." I should try that out. So that's that's you know what, what uh, got me to try a snowboarding was basically to test it for Keith. Um, I learned how to snowboard just good enough to you know understand if it was going to work or not. You know I was freaking falling on my face and on my ass the whole way down the mountain. But uh, you know I'm like, okay, a guy with skills can you know he'd be able to figure this out. Um, so he, I ended up meeting up with him in the spring um, of, uh, 2011, I believe it was. And he knew he wanted it. So he talked to his guys back at Walter Reed and that opened the door. So they ended up, Walter Reed ended up purchasing like the second moto knee that I produced. And that just opened the door for a lot of other veterans. Um, and you know, that getting the feedback, from Keith and then another, you know, the guy who bought the first moto knee, getting the feedback from them was like, dang, this, this feels pretty good being able to create something in my shop and eventually help somebody else achieve their goals. And, you know, I obviously knew it was going to help me go after mine, but to help somebody else do that, um, that was pretty powerful and and motivating. So I'm like, yeah, I want to see how how far I can take this. And yeah, that was, uh, the company started officially in uh, 2010, the summer of 2010. And now we're going into our, you know, 10th year. And we've, we've had the Moto Knee, the Versafoot, and now we're on our second generation Versafoot. And we're, this year, over the next month or two, we're going to be launching three new products. So um, it's pretty it's pretty cool. And, and you know, being it's Veterans Day today, you know, I, I got to say that's been one of the biggest pleasures or rewards of what I'm doing with my prosthetic business is being able to help our veterans get back into action and doing, you know, the fun things in life. And uh, so, yeah, my hat's off to all of our vets around the world. It's got to be great to see
0: that, to be able to do that, right? Because the veterans are out there fighting for our freedom, but then also as a Paralympic athlete, the veterans were really responsible for so much of what came first, right? Even going back to stoke mandeville when the veterans were the first people to to get into the what became the paralympics but then also so much of the other equipment like the mono ski that i skied in was developed by a veteran our ski team when i first started was a lot of vietnam vets who are the who created who created the programs that then allowed us to not miss a year or not miss any time, obviously the x games is a little bit is a little bit different. I don't know that that is directly related when did so you went had you snowboarded before at all, like before your accident, or did you pick it up after you'd lost
1: your leg as a crash test dummy? I think I snowboarded like three times okay in my entire you know previous twenty seven years of life <laughs> uh, my, my board sport experience was uh, wakeboarding a few summers, like, you know, just just hanging out with some friends, just wakeboarding, you know, n- not good by any means. Um, so yeah, the, the snowboarding was picked up purely to test my moto knee and Versafoot uh, for other people to try and use it. And as that evolved, as Walter Reed started purchasing more equipment from us, they've got a lot of really great programs where they bring vets out, um, recreational, uh, like um, the Breckenridge Ski Spec, and then also there's a Vail Veterans Program. And I was able to, to go out and help a handful of these vets learn how to use the equipment they just purchased. and. You know, that's what really got me into learning how to snowboard on big mountains. So I'm from central Minnesota. I've got this little molehill out 10 minutes from me, which is, is awesome, you know, for central Minnesota, but I've got, you know, 300 and some vertical feet to work with. And when I was able to go out to, you know, Breckenridge or uh, Vail, like that's a whole new world. And I tell you what, you can learn how to snowboard a lot faster when you've got a couple thousand feet to work with. <laughs>
0: when you're not constantly riding the lift, right? You're back and forth, you're 300 feet back up to the top. Uh, so so when, did it, when did you decide, so you, you were starting to learn how to snowboard, it concurrently, like helping these guys to learn how to snowboard and doing it yourself, when did it become a sport for you? And how did it become a sport?
1: Uh, well, my first big dive into it was uh, in 2012, So, at that point, I had been snowboarding for a couple seasons, um, and I got in touch with Adaptive Action Sports out of Copper Mountain, and, you know, Mm -hmm. they were a big part of the Adaptive Supercross. So, Dan Gale and Amy Purdy, they ran the program uh, for the, the Supercross side, and so that opened the door for me to go snowboarding with them at Copper Mountain and a bunch of other adaptive riders. And they eventually talked me into competing, going down a course for the first time, which, yeah, that was, that was scary. That was uh, in 2011, I think. It would, would have been the spring 2011. And I'm like, oh man, oh, this is- you think
0: going down a course, what was this course? Was this a, was this a, a border
1: X course or a border a,
0: cross course?
1: Yeah, it was a border cross course uh, for the, let's see, I think it was the nationals um, for the adaptive side of things, and <laughs> I made it down, I think it was not fast, um, but the crazy thing was so the following year, X games announced that they weren 't going to have any adaptive snowcross that year, and I had been part of the X game the Winter X games every year but one when I got injured and but they just happened to have adaptive border cross in 2012 i'm like okay well that that uh the adaptive action sports guys reached out to me they're like would you have any interest in this at all and uh, i'm like hmm i don't know it's a it's you know it's a chance for me to continue with my x game season but uh so that was yep i said okay let's do it (laughs) so i fast tracked my my snowboard learning curve uh you know 17 days on snow leading into that, that season. And I went down Winter X Games border cross course in 2012. Um, yeah, that, that, was, uh, that was pretty intense. Um,
0: with, with your supercross that the X Games goes another 20% more than everybody else. <laughs> Can you describe
1: what border cross is? Well, in short, it's motocross stretched out down a mountain on a snowboard, you've got no handlebars, you've got no brakes. Well, I mean, you kind of do when you slide sideways, but you got nothing to hang on to with your hands. And like, for me, that's the biggest challenge. You know, for me, motorsports, I'm all about handlebars and throttle and brake. Uh, So border cross is, it's um, elbow to elbow, you know, side by side start out of gates. You know, the, the buzzer has a sequence, it drops. We all pull out of the gates at the same time. And we go down a course that's got rollers and jumps, gap jumps, tabletops, and, you know, these big sweeping berms. And, um, you know, the pros, the pros riding these courses, I mean, they are flying. They're, you know, some of these jumps are 90 foot long. Um, for us adaptive guys, they had different options, shorter options, you know, like 50 foot. <laughs> a
0: short one. And, yeah.
1: yeah. And uh, so... It, it's, it's really intense racing. And, you know, it's, you know, we're side by side, we're clicking boards going down through these corners and stuff. And, um, you know, when you, when you get tangled up with somebody, it can hurt. I mean, uh, yeah, when those edges on snowboards for all you snowboarders out there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You get a little off balance and your edge catches and it slams you to the ground so fast that you don't even know what happened. Um, so yeah, try doing that going down this, Motocross style course at X Games. Um, yeah, it was uh, pretty wild. How good were you when you started? Not good. No, Not good. <laughs> I've been so used to being, you know, the top level. You know, racing motocross at the expert level, and then racing pro snowcross. Like I'm accustomed to being one of the top guys. And snowboarding, no man, I was starting rock bottom. You know, these other these other guys that have been doing it for a while, they're looking at this freaking Midwestern guy coming in here in his in his motocross race gear with his full face helmet and I'm like, What are you doing? But uh, you know, I evolved. I I uh, I learned pretty quick and over the next couple of years I, I started to fit in pretty good.
0: <laughs> were you dangerously bad to start off with? Were you were you worried about hurting yourself or hurting somebody else? Well,
1: I, you know, me in my mind, I definitely thought about that. Um, I wasn't that bad, you know. I I definitely I knew I didn't want to get tangled up with somebody else, so I, I kept extra space. In the start, I actually i I decided I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna hold for a split second before I pull out of the gate because I didn't want to mess up their, you know, these other guys' race by doing something stupid out of the gate. So. You know, I held for a split second and then pulled out after everybody else, you know, had a board length on me. So, I, uh, yeah, I, mean, I was respectful. I didn't want to <laughs> wreck these guys that have been you know, training for this for years. And here comes this guy, just a part-timer from Midwest, Minnesota, you know, just throwing himself down the course. but uh,
0: yeah, You could know,
1: get the- out first and then go crash <laughs> on the first yeah. feature and take everybody out. And they're like, okay, thanks for the help. I would, I would not be, a, you know, they would not be my fan after that.
0: <laughs> How long did it take you to get good? Because you kind of, I mean, doing doing the, the, the snowmobiles, doing the motocross, you, you had a sense of what you were trying to do. It was just a different vehicle, I assume. So you yeah, knew absolutely. what you were
1: supposed to do. How long did it take you to get good? Well, that's the one edge that I had as being a professional athlete for so many years up to this point it's like I knew how to train for things like I knew how to take a look at the big picture you know understand what I needed to accomplish mentally physically equipment wise um, and just piece it all together so I was able to to learn a lot quicker Um, so 2012 that was the big you know opening to snowboard competition for me but um, the next year it was just recreational and um, after Sochi Paralympics in 2014, um, we, there was two athletes using our bioadapt equipment, Michelle Salt from Canada, and then, um, uh, Brazilian Andre, uh, he had a mode on universal foot too. And so, and at that point in 2014, that was their inaugural year for border cross being in the Paralympics. And so it was only one class, well, two classes, it was men's and women's. So there's no difference between above knee and below knee amputees. And obviously there's a very big difference in performance and ability. Um, So up to that point, I didn't, me as an athlete, I didn't have any interest in it because I knew that I would never be a medal contender against a below knee amputee. And after Sochi, the summer afterwards, they made the announcement that they were going to add more classes. And that's when the coach uh, at the time, Maya Wheeler, he uh, reached out to me that fall. Um, So it would have been uh, the fall of 2014. And he's like, Hey, Mike, they just uh, added some more classes. And, you know, it separates the above knee and below knee amputees. And, you know, we think that if you were interested and motivated, you could be a contender. And so, you know, I'm I'm talking with my wife, Sarah, about like, what do you think here? Because they invited me to go to the first World Cup of that season, which was in the Netherlands, and I had like two and a half week notice. <laughs> and uh, so it seems far for the course, right now, yeah, it's just like seize the opportunity, right? It was, you know, I had to think about it because I, you know, I'm not a snowboarder. I'm a motorsports guy. I was still prime time adaptive moto and snowcross for X Games. And you know, to to veer off and become a snowboarder was a, a big, you know, it was a big uh, a decision to make. But you know, I'm like, yeah, this I, I got to try it. And so I ended up going to the first World Cup and and ended up uh, winning a medal <laughs> and uh, against Chris Voss, nonetheless, which I'm still battling with every single year. And uh, so we've you know all paralleled uh, since you know, that year, I mean, he, he competed at, at, Sochi in 14, you know, I think he, at that time he was like, what was he, 15 or 16 years old. And, uh, so he was, you know, just getting into it and, uh, learning a lot. Um, and then, you know, I was just, you know, coming in and learning a lot as well. And yeah, it was pretty crazy. It was, uh, he, he was the guy to beat then Chris Voss was the guy to beat in your class. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He was, he was the one to beat. And so there was a, there was a Europa cup, um, a couple of days before the world cup and the Europa cup, I ended up taking the silver and then the world cup, I ended up beating them and taking a gold, which I was like, I, I was like, what are you kidding me? And everybody else is like, "Who's this guy coming in?" He's like, "Nobody's ever seen me before," and you know, here I am. I come in and just won a World Cup, so it was a, it was a pretty, pretty big moment. Was that head-to-head that you won the World Cup, or was it timed, or? Uh that was that was just time trial, so it was just racing against the clock, and uh, so and at that time it was bank's law, so. Uh, yeah, it's racing against the clock down a course with a whole bunch of right and left-hand turns. Super tight. It's got these really nice berms that are lined up, so you're just like, "That's a, it's a lot of fun." Were you surprised? Were you surprised? Absolutely. You were number one. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Serious?" But uh, yeah, it was, yeah, I was, yeah, I was totally, totally surprised. To me, I, I didn't, you know. I actually rode pretty well. I I rode a lot better than I thought I was going to. And, um, yeah, it was, (laughs) it was an eye opener and then, uh, ended up, you know, over the course of that season, raced a couple more, um, world cups and, uh, ended up getting injured, unfortunately, in that, uh, following January, uh, early February, end of January.
0: Are you getting more people onto your product? As as you're getting more successful, and how did that work? Was it your success that brought you pe- that brought
1: people to your product, or was it word of mouth, or how did it work? Uh, it was a combination of all, but you know, at the beginning, it was so we just started getting into social media at that point, and then also the X Games were a big thing because there was some great coverage of my story and you know the equipment I was building, so the word was traveling just through media engagements and you know, success as an athlete. And yeah, since then, snowboarding is definitely has been the uh, the top sport for our adaptive equipment. Do
0: you attribute
1: some of your success
0: to your success in building a better leg?
1: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, you know, when I first started, there was only one other option um, available for a sport Type knee system you know that was trying to achieve the same type of goal uh, you know using a mountain bike style shock in it Um, and I came in and so well there maybe there's two at that point but they were very specific for their their purpose and so I wanted to create something that had you know versatility to it and which opened it up for a lot of sports and you know within that the extra time spent with the versatility you know behind it um, allowed for A lot better performance in different sports and uh, yeah absolutely it 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 performs better than anything that i've i've seen or tried and you know obviously that that translates into quicker times down the course what did this
0: look like did you have people knocking on your door all the time saying i want your leg
1: i it it, uh, definitely would see a spike after big competitions and social media posts and stuff and so yeah, the, the competition and the success or the exposure of, of our company and products, uh, you know, work hand in hand. So, so the good thing about all that is that means I get to keep competing and, uh, you know, doing all this fun recreational stuff and, you know, capture it on video and share it with everybody. And, and that definitely is our, you know, our marketing program.
0: How did that, were you conflicted at all? Because you're an athlete and you're a manufacturer and which one is your priority?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely been the battle uh, since like 2012, 2013. You know, either one of them, being an athlete or being a company owner, manufacturer, they are both very much full-time positions in themselves. And so to try and juggle both of those, along with being, you know, a father, of uh, our daughter, she was born in 2013, right? I mean, 2013 was like the most incredibly difficult, challenging, complicated year ever, because um, we we moved from our old home up in Brainerd, we knew, moved into a new building, it was our, our um, busiest year with BioAdapt, and we had summer X Games, and Lauren was born in uh, November, Uh, 2013 so it was like so much stuff just like coming down at one time and since then it's you know been a constant battle of uh, you know trying to make it all work in unison
0: and I'd imagine like race day there are people who have a problem with their leg and they're saying hey Mike can you help me out and meanwhile you're trying to you're trying to get your act together for to focus (laughs) on your sport and it's like yeah, I'll help you out. But has that happened? And what do you do when it happens?
1: Yeah, it is. Um, it's happened a few times uh, to my teammates, to my competitors. And for the most part, everybody's really respectful. You know, when it's game time, you know, they're very hesitant to, you know, being like, hey, take time out. You know, can you help me for a minute? Um, and my coaches, and and staff support staff have been very helpful with that too, to kind of put a barrier around me. If something happens to one of my teammates using my equipment, because, you know, when we're not in competition phase or day, uh, I'm very much hands-on with, you know, anybody who needs help that's using our equipment. And yeah, I mean, that means our, you know, my, my teammates with the U S team, as well as the, you know, 1520 other athletes from other countries around the world that show up to these world cups and in itself is, I mean, it's such a rewarding thing to see, you know, six or eight or 10 different BioDap products lining up on course at any given World Cup. And uh, it's pretty rad. But yeah, there has been a few times where it pulls my focus as an athlete. But, uh, you know, I'm I'm okay with it, you know, unless it's, you know, at the Paralympics or something. Um, (laughs) And because that it works so hand in hand to with me as an athlete and me as the prosthetic builder, you know, I'm wearing two hats on the athlete and I'm, you know, the, the manufacturer that's supporting and helping some of these other athletes. And, you know, sometimes I've got to like midday, I got to change hats and you know, when I'm on the, when I'm on the start line and I'm looking over to Noah Elliott, my teammate, but he's also, you know, basically one of my biggest competitors. I'm like, <sighs> yeah, I hope your leg falls off, but I really don't because that would come back on my other hat, bio be Like that would look bad. No. So I just got to beat him straight up as a better athlete. <laughs> you just have to be faster than he is. Your leg is on display
0: when you compete. You have shorts on that side, on that leg. Is it one to, to show off the leg? Is there a bit of a Terminator kind of thing going on? Is it also, is, is it something, is it easier to work on your leg when you don't have to pull your pants up to, to make it work?
1: Well, there's a couple of reasons why I choose to do that. One is because I believe it's good for our sport. When there's an audience watching an adaptive race or a Paralympic race and the person looks normal, then, then they're sitting there questioning, well, why, why is this person racing in the Paralympics? But when I can you know show them, so it's obvious, Oh, that dude's missing his leg. He's got a robot leg. You know that's going to engage him. And you know, in my mind, that's that's good for our sport because then then they can process what's happening there. And on the other side, yeah, absolutely. I want to show off the hardware. You know, for for my company. And um, you know, it's it's easier. Yeah, you know, I guess it's easier to work on. But I mean, that's that's not a big big part of it. But you know, it, it's it started out like it's kind of funny because when it started out, when I started snowboarding, I'm flopping all over the place I'm falling over in the lift line and I'm just you know I'm looking like I'm tripping all over myself and if I were to like have it all covered up they'd be like what the hell is this guy doing what he's like is he drunk you know what what's he doing he's like falling over well when it when the the leg is visible then they're like oh yeah he's he's missing a leg that's awesome (laughs) So totally, like visually, it captures your eye and uh, you know, it, can, it can answer a lot of its own questions for itself. Well, that's a
0: part of it for you because you have to build a functional leg. You want the best possible function, but you also have to be concerned about the aesthetics. This thing has to look cool. How much of your time do you spend going, okay, if we do this, this is going to work this way, but it's also going to look cool. How much of a
1: consideration is that? in the beginning it was it was more just based on function and trying to keep it lightweight but now as we're evolving things we're putting more time and effort into making it you know look cool you know sculpting it more into you know three dimensions and we're really excited about this new stuff we're working on um yeah over the last two years three years our company has been able to expand and bring on uh, a designer a cad designer uh who's been really helpful to help bring my ideas into reality. Um, We've been working with SolidWorks CAD programs and developing some really awesome stuff. And now I'm over the shoulder of Mitch, he's my CAD guy. And so I get things, you know, 50% there with my hand drawings and then hand it over to him and he starts building it on, um, you know, um, on a digital frame. And then, you know, I check back and him, you know, and he's got this component built and, you know, we can just communicate back and forth and it happens so much faster than it did with me and my pencil and paper. And, um, I, am really excited about where, where things are going with our company. And, you know, we've got, uh, we just got our new, new latest and greatest toy in the shop this week, which is uh, a laser. So we can do our own engraving and we can get some, uh, customization with names and that kind of thing on the equipment as well as, uh, you know, it opens up some other capabilities in our shop, you know, to bring in-house other than outsourcing it. What's what's you know, what's not cool about a laser beam too? <laughs> it's it's super cool. I mean, but that's also
0: on the Paralympic side, the equipment is one of the biggest entrees, right? It's not about what you're doing differently. It's like, hey man, that's really cool. And if it's cool, it's not like you're in the hospital. It's not like you know. It, it's something that is that is that is high tech. I mean, you've got some amazing shocks. I mean, you're you're looking at at how you can how you can do the absorption better and all this stuff. Like people look at that and go, "Oh no, this is high performance. This isn't playing around." <laughs> and that's that's. But but it also it brings people in because it's such an easy way to start a conversation about the equipment on the competition side, getting back to the competition side. So you started, you started recognizing like you were, you you won the overall globe in, in what was it? 17, 18, right? So you're, you're, you're going from being nervous getting out of the start with these guys to being one of, if not the top guy in a lot of the races as you were going into Pyeongchang. So Pyeongchang is 2018. What was your preparation like? What were your expectations? And who were you looking at as your biggest
1: competitor? Uh, as as we were a year out from the games, um, so we ended the 2017 season at the test event in South Korea. And at that point, I was still on the fence if I was going to be able to continue towards this, this dream of uh, you know, going to the Paralympics or if I needed to scale back and just focus on my, my business. Um, but I realized it was something that I really truly wanted to do and I was gonna have to make some sacrifices in order to be the best athlete I could be. But when we, I we my wife Sarah and I, when we made the decision that this was gonna be my goal, this, I, I'm putting all my effort into this, bioadapt is going to have to you know take a bit of a hit with my time investment in it um, but when i made that decision you know my training program increased by probably about 40 percent from what it was and that allowed me to just have that mindset to not question you know the the investment that i was putting into it as far as my effort and the time away from home i mean the year going into the games i was on the road for 180 days and i i'm sure you you I mean, you can understand it just as good as I can. But, you know, for everybody else that's listening here, it's like the year going into the games is not like the previous, you know, three years. It's like you've got to be on it. You've got to be training. You've got to be traveling to these World Cups everywhere. And um, and it was fun because I made the decision that I'm not going to let everything else bother me because I'm on the road. I'm going to be the best athlete I can be. And that allowed me to perform so much better. And the biggest change that I felt going into that year was, like you said, I wasn't scared about pulling out of the start gate and wondering what my legs were going to do going over these next features. Like I was able to pull out of the gate and charge and, you know, be able to ride and perform. And yeah, I knew, I knew my biggest competitors were going to be my teammate Noah Elliott and Chris Voss because um, you know, Chris Voss has been doing it a long time. He's very committed uh, and then Noah, he's just got this amazing raw talent from the skateboarding side of his, his life. And he just got this, you know, he can flow so well. And so I'm like, man, I'm going to have to use all my assets that I've u- accrued over the years as a professional athlete and use those tools to uh, help me perform the best. And, you know, my goal was going into the games was to perform my best under the ultimate pressure. Of the world event like that, and uh, I I achieved it, and I was I was so incredibly pumped about it.
0: How did it happen at the games? How did things shake out? What so there are two, so there's the border cross, and then there's the bank slalom. So two separate events, and and how how did
1: what happened? Tell Uh, us. We start. We started the program. um, Well, the first amazing experience was being the flag bearer, which was the ultimate honor. Um, and then we went right into border cross which is a cutthroat competition it's bracket racing so at that time it's two at a time and so we go through the brackets and I got to race against all my teammates on the way to the gold medal and so unfortunately I had bumped out uh, Mark Mann my teammate um, halfway through and then um, found myself in racing against Noah and I was able to pull a start and and beat him out so he went into the the, uh, the bronze medal round and then me and Chris Voss ended up dual in, in the gold medal round. And uh, I tell you what, I was more excited when I won the, uh, the, the semifinal, you know, which put me into the gold round because I knew Noah was going to be like probably the toughest competition. And so I'm lined up with him and I'm like, I got to win this one. And then I'm guaranteed a, a gold or a silver. And so when I won that against Noah, like that all the weight just shed off my shoulders. I'm like, hell yeah, I'm guaranteed a gold or silver. I just gotta make it down the course. And I mean, there's there's a lot of other drama there that day too, because our high tech starting gate malfunctioned, which put things on pause for two hours. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm looking at, you know, I'm a mechanical guy. I'm looking at the guys running the start gates, messing around with them. I'm like, why the hell is this so high tech? Like it can be a mechanical system where you know the lever drops and the gates drop and like they've got all these computerized you know uh, electronic magnets that are I'm like why and uh, so anyways we ended up going to an old school rubber band start um so uh, there was a um, staff member standing between our gates with the rubber band like old school motocross um yeah just a bungee cord so uh, they did their cadence and he'd let go of the bungees. As soon as the bungees were gone, you know, we yank out of the gate. And, um, I had a, <laughs> the biggest event of your life. <laughs> yeah. You're going
0: old school. You're going to the most crude start. You could imagine. I, know,
1: I was, I was all right with it. I mean, I, I grew up racing motocross with bungee cord starts, you know, back at the the, the county fair raises and stuff. Everybody else was like, Oh my God, what are we going to do? It's not fair. This and that. I'm like, you're not going to react quicker than a bungee cord. Uh, so it's going to be all good. So, um, yeah i was you know i didn't get in my head other than you know just waiting around for two hours while they you know mess around trying to figure out if they're going to cancel the event or not. i'm like are you kidding me um yeah let's figure this out so we ended up racing um i got a great hole shot and uh chris Voss, he ended up uh, hitting the feature funny on uh, towards the end of the front straight and he skidded out and so i was able to just uh you know not really charge, but, you know, make a good pace all the way down towards the bottom. I actually didn't realize he crashed until about two thirds of the way down when I looked over my right shoulder and, and he was nowhere. I'm like, "Ah, I'm going to win. And I'm like, no, no focus, focus on your run. And yeah, when I slid across the finish line, uh, I was, I was hit by the most incredible, overwhelming emotion uh, of accomplishment, you know, that I've ever had as an athlete. And I've competed at some really big events over the years at X games and stuff, but nothing compares to wearing the red, white, and blue in front of the world and, and winning gold. And later that evening at the medal ceremony, uh, yeah, when, when, the, when the red, white, and blue raised up on the center, center pole and the national anthem played, it was, uh, that was a powerful moment. And uh, I, yeah, it was, it was incredible. Now,
0: Noah, you said, is on your leg, he's on a bio leg. Is Chris Voss on a bio leg as well? <laughs> so, um,
1: yeah, that's a funny story. Um, so Chris Voss, he's got um, he's got he still has both legs, but he's got some paralysis in in it um, that it, basically he needs to wear an external brace uh, on his. I believe it's his right leg. Um, So he um, has limited control. So he needs an assistive brace system. And, you know, for the first few years competing against him, I'm looking at this uh, brace system and I'm I'm thinking to myself, man, I could, I could build something so much better than that. And, but why would I want to help him? You know, (laughs) I, you know, the, 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 the problem solver engineer in me, you know, is looking at it like I could, I could do something. But as long as he's my competitor, I'm not going to go out of my way to try and make him faster. So, you know, in 2019 at world champs, um, I finally won a world championship. And you know, I'm like, if I'm going to win, I'm going to retire. And that'll be the end of my snowboard career, because I'm, you know, no spring chicken anymore. And I'm like, you know, it, it's good. I've, I've checked all the boxes and and so I'm having a conversation with with Chris and having a glass of wine up in or in Finland, and I'm like, "Yeah, this this feels pretty good." You know what? We should have a conversation about your leg, and I think I could build you something. And so we continue a conversation, and um, so the the next summer or the next spring, I realize, well, you know what? I'm probably going to keep competing. Meanwhile, I get this phone call from from Chris, and he's like, "Hey, Mike, when can I come out and and uh, you know get get my leg built?" I'm like. Oh, me, you know, previous month before that, I was like, decided I'm going to continue racing. But now I said, I'm going to build him a better leg. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of caught in a tough spot here, but I can't tell him no. Uh, Cause you know, me, my bioadapt hat, I, you know, I, it means a lot to be able to help people achieve their goals through my company. And, you know, that's bigger than me being an athlete. And so I, I ended up building him a really, really trick custom leg that he's been using for the last, you know, season and a half or well last season and like going into this season, he's, he's using a second generation version of it. And he's, uh, yeah, it's impressive the the additional range of motion that I was able to get with uh, this system that I created for him. So I'm going to have to build myself a better leg going into this next year and a half <laughs> so I can, uh, you know, raise my level a little bit.
0: And it is the next year and a half, you're going through Beijing 2022?
1: Yes, that, uh, that's the plan as of now. I mean, there's, there's obviously lots of questions around what's happening in the world right now, but uh, you know, we're, we're running towards that goal and you know, I'm um, training my butt off here every week and, and uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed that experience so much and I wanna, I wanna see if I can do it again.
0: What's the translation from what you're doing on the very top level, to what the ordinary person might do with a prosthetic leg
1: um, so like it 's as far as the equipment we 're using or the effort put into it
0: uh, no I mean in terms of in terms of how much better i guess does does all of the effort that you put into a sports leg the you know, the best testers in the world right i mean you 're sure after you've been using it, that somebody's not going to go out and break it. But also the performance side of it, how much does all of your testing, all of your competing, how much does that performance help the average person?
1: Uh, I, you know, it's 50%, 75% better than what you would typically get with everyday type devices. Uh, um, Yeah. I mean, we, as you know, we're, professional adaptive athletes. And, you know, we require the best equipment. And when we're competing against people from around the world to try and be the best, it's like, we're motivated to push the level of performance. And, you know, that, that translates into our equipment and the way we train and prepare for it. And so, you know, it's, it's like that in all other sports too. Motorsports, you know, the, the elite level racing you know, is what creates all of this really incredible equipment that, you know, in the end, trickles down into everyday use equipment. Um, so, yeah, I, I, our Paralympic snowboarding is, has been a huge piece of creating better prosthetic equipment, which eventually is going to help out a lot of other sports and activities at the recreational level. Um, you know, it, it's honestly, it's, it's not that much different at this point, you know, from what I'm competing on personally compared to what my customers have. I'm always just just a little bit, you know, I, I've, I'm not sharing all my goodies, but, uh, it, you know, it's usually like a year behind.
0: <laughs> they can get it next year. They just have to come back and buy a new one. OK.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: Well, cool. Mike, thanks so much for for helping us out. This is, you know, we're you're doing such an amazing job not only as an athlete but in the community as a representative of the community as a as a representative of your country helping out a variety of other athletes even your biggest competitors and continuing to grow the sport it's been one of the things that i've loved about the paralympic about paralympic athletes is that we're all responsible for continuing to push the sport forward we feel a sense of ownership with the sport it's not just You're gonna come in you're gonna collect your medals and you're gonna get out. You have a sense of ownership and you have have truly owned that sport and owned what you're trying to do. So I really appreciate that. And there's a lot of support that comes from a lot of different places. We're actually partnering with, with Adaptive Spirit and with No Excuses, Adaptive Spirit's a big fundraising event for both the snowboard, the Alpine and the Nordic teams. No excuses is the arm that's helping athletes get some more, get some more equipment. I don't know if you've had any athletes who have, who have bought any of your stuff through no excuses yet, but if they haven't, they probably will at some point.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Over the last couple of years. Um, yeah, that program has helped out, you know, myself, as well as all my teammates. Um, you know, a lot of it goes to our adaptive equipment. So yeah, it's, uh, you know, as Paralympic athletes, we're, uh, you know, every little bit helps because, you know, we're not like big time pro sports salaries by any means. We're, uh, you know, we're we're working day jobs to try and con- continue to compete as, uh, you know, world class athletes. And uh, so these programs like um, No Excuses and an ad- Adaptive Spirit are, uh, you know, key things that help us keep going and be the best we can be.
0: So we'll be looking forward to you in Beijing 2022. How is it looking? What are your expectations? Do you have any
1: expectations right now? Are you allowed to tell us? Is this a secret? Well, gold for sure. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, yeah, I mean, I honestly, I will be happy on the podium, whatever position it is, but I'm always going to shoot for the gold. Um, I, I love the challenge of preparation and I, I love, you know, lining up against my competitors and, uh, you know, ultimately hoping and trying to be the best.
0: Mike, thanks a ton. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for everything you do. Good luck. And we'll look forward to seeing you in person, hopefully soon and seeing you on television in 2022. All right. Thanks
1: a lot, Chris. I appreciate being part of the show. Thank Thank you. Thank
0: you. All right. Take care.